Amen. It's a good day. It's always a good day when we can be in His presence, isn't it? Wonderful. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see Brother Derek greet our Brother Don Bailey. God bless you, Brother Don. Nice to have you once again. It's been a long time. And then our... You, I'm a little bit hoarse, but I guess that will be all right. If it's, if it's all right with you, it's all right with me. Our brother Nathan was up and singing. I hadn't heard that song before. But I had some scriptures, and uh, this isn't part of the service. It was part of the message. And I thought, uh, no, I think it might be distracting to the people if I, because it's not, you know, it's a part of the service, it's a part of the message, but it's a part that I can uh, uh, just forego this time and maybe go into it later on because it's, it's a marvelous truth within itself. And then after hearing Brother Nathan's song, I thought, no, I'm going to just read those scriptures first uh, uh, before we even get into the message. The Apostle Paul has said unto Timothy, my son, my own son in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. He said in 2 Timothy, To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And to Titus, he said, To Titus, uh, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, Mercy and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then in Hebrews, he said, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. I've been pondering very, very much as I've been speaking about grace and our stewardship of grace and about the mercy seat, which I want to speak on today, about the mercy seat. And so often I think that perhaps grace itself is uh, uh, misunderstood because I've heard the phrase, the free gift of grace, but really grace is not a gift. Grace is actually favor, favor that is shown. That's God's, God's part, strictly on God's part. We have nothing to do with it. It's strictly on God's part that he shows favor. And then when he shows favor, we, on whom he shows favor, they are the recipients or the potential recipients of a gift. And that's why Apostle Paul says grace, mercy. And when God showed grace to the world, the greatest, greatest expression of grace was when he sent Jesus Christ. So when he sent Jesus Christ, he sent him, that was his grace, full of grace and truth. But then through him, he was able to show mercy. Amen. Amen. And when we receive mercy, we have peace. So that's really the process. And I think that's wonderful. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would, and we're going to go directly to the Word. Thank you, musicians. God bless you.
while you're standing and uh, others are still coming in, would you like to quickly see a few pictures of the Moscow church? Can we show those, please, or do I need to do it? If you can just show them for me, I would be happy. Maybe we could dim the lights so they can see them a little bit easier. This is, this is as of this week. And uh, the, uh, the people here and others, we can just uh, click through them. These brothers are working in the midst of winter, as you can see. They're really bundled up, working hard. This is the, this is the roof over the first section, over the bottom, uh, bottom floor. These people have contributed not only their labor, they've contributed whatever they could of their funds as well. So there you see a bit of the uh, length of it. You can see. Now, they were going to put just a normal roof on that. And uh, Brother Sergei was visiting uh, in Riga in Latvia and was with a pastor who, who I know, Brother Gregory uh, Grigor and uh, Pietsevich. And uh, Brother Pietsevich is a construction man. And he said, uh, he said, it's much better if you just go straight up and, uh, and don't put that kind of roof on it. Then you'll gain more space. And you can do that for six more truckloads of cement blocks. Now, that's the inside of the bottom floor there. But they would be able to get a second floor and uh, so that's what they're going to do. And then they, they gave an offering also to help them. They gave them, I think, 2,000 euros, which is almost one and a half times or more our, our currency. And uh, they're moving forward with that. But this is really wonderful. And the, and the saints there in Moscow had saved their money and bought this piece of land. It's off towards the airport, and it cost about $80,000, and I think that is really remarkable for those people. There are other people that have sent some funds. We have sent now $56,000. We have about another $2,000 that has come in U.S. Uh, at U.S. At that U.S. funds, and, uh, and I have committed to send some more to them so they can uh, put that second floor on, and uh, I believe that We'd like to see them be able to be in this building and using it before another winter comes. Lord Jesus tarries. Amen. All right, that's just fine. Thank you for the... Uh, is there one? Could you go to the last one and show the brothers that have been working there, please? There they are. And uh, over on this side right here, on to my left here, is Brother Sergei. Amen. Thank you. Now, if you will, uh, you can open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the uh, 25th chapter of Exodus. And just before we read, I'll ask you to bow your heads and with me so we can have a word of prayer. Dear Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Today that we can be gathered together 
here in this sanctuary, a place that we many years ago dedicated to you. I have been thinking of the time when our brother Don Alexander put a shovel into the earth and, and turned it over, and we had a dedication of the ground. And now we see, dear Lord, that there are people that it's, it's, a, it's an honor for us to be able to assist them that they can come together, precious brothers and sisters in Christ. And we just pray that you remember them that are in Moscow, O oh God. These believers that have uh, been without a pastor for some time, and now our brother Sergei, I pray you'll anoint him, O oh God, and use him mightily in all the churches that are assisting in Europe and, and uh, that are being such a strength and a, co- and a blessing to them. We're asking also, Father, that you remember in a special way our brother Tony and sister Rebecca. Dear Lord, we ask, O oh God, that you will open doors where doors are closed, that you will close the doors that... Uh, that should not be open. We pray that you will open the hearts of the people. We pray that you will create a hunger, O God, and that you will make a way where there seems to be no way. We pray, Father, that uh, it would be our desire to see this message, to see it in the language of the people, that they could, their, their eyes could behold the words that have been so transforming in our lives. Surely, Lord, they have a... They have a right, I believe, to do that and how the governments and how powers and try to restrict and hinder your word from coming to the people. When we think of that, we think of Brother John Stahl, Lord, who we just prayed for this last week and his grandchildren that are with him, such examples of this message. We are so happy. We are so thankful. We are so proud of the standard, O oh God, that the life that's within the revealed Word of God brings. Father, it is not our doing. It is your doing. And as we heard our brother Nathan saying, truly it's mercy and grace. Truly, O oh God, there's nothing that we could contribute. We can only give ourselves, and here we stand today, Lord. We give ourselves as an entire congregation. We give ourselves and yield ourselves to the moving of the Holy Spirit. We say, Father, say what you would say, we will receive it. Move as you would move and we will move with you, O God. Tell us what you would like us to do, Lord. And we say, here am I. Send me. Here am I, O God. We're here to do your bidding. I pray, Father, you'll open our hearts and our ears, our understanding, and I pray that the, that the word will penetrate down the channel to our soul. And we will say, Lord, I do believe. Amen. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, anoint us each one for our respective duty. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now I also have some slides of some scripture, and we're going to read our scripture on the slide while you have your Bible, and you can keep your Bible open. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That's Exodus 25 and 8. 
25 and 17. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And 25 and 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. 25 and 22. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. And then here we have once again the uh, mercy seat. Now you may have your seats, and we'll leave this uh, up here for a few moments. Uh, I want to speak on the mercy seat, but it's 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 in a completely, I'm sure, uh, different from perhaps what you expect. Uh, these verses contain some elements, very very significant and extremely important uh, elements for us in our time, right now, today, having to do with the message. They're important and extremely important because these are the things that I want to bring together. There's a, here's the elements. That tabernacle, you'll make me a sanctuary. The sanctuary was the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. The ark of the commandments and the commandments that were in them and the mercy seat which was above and the mercy seat as you see here is it actually the mercy seat is the slab and the word mercy seat there there is no particular word in the Hebrew for seat but it is it simply meant covering and that is extremely significant. It was a covering. So if you can just follow this process now, in the ark is the words of commandment which nobody could keep. So in the ark is the words that condemned the entire people of Israel because no one could keep them. But on top... Over the, that's why it says you put them above, because on top is a slab, and it happens to be pure gold, and it is covering the word that the people couldn't keep. So the contents condemned them. The mercy seat was the place of propitiation, or the place where God would acknowledge that He has, that He has. Uh, he, he has satisfied the commandment. He has satisfied God. God satisfied it, and so in the Old Testament, I, I feel if I get this now, then if you get this, then we'll we'll be really uh, uh, it'll be much easier the rest of the service. So now God in the Old Testament, they took the blood of bulls and goats. And so once a year, the high priest who has been appointed, 
No, that's an office, not the prophet, not Moses the prophet, but the priest, the office of the priest. He went in, the high priest, once a year and, and sprinkled the mercy seat with blood, which was an animal. Now, the animal was an animal that God had given, so it wasn't anything the people could do. The people could not create that animal. The people could not give that, even that animal life. So the animal was only the substitute, and the high priest took the blood of the animal and went in before the mercy seat and sprinkled, sprinkled the mercy seat on the Day of Atonement. And then God considered the people's sins that they were covered, that, he, that they were forgiven. But then the scripture says that the law was not able to, it was not perfect in that it could not give the people a clear conscience as they went back out and they still had consciousness of their sin, you see. But it was, but they had appeased God because they had kept God's word. So that, that is the order of that. Now we can take that off, please. Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. So the mercy seat was just to uh, go back over it a wee bit in the actual Hebrew is uh, it's a place of atonement. It is a, the golden plate is what they call it, the golden plate of propitiation on which the high priest sprinkled uh, he sprinkled seven times on the day of atonement symbolically reconciling Jehovah and his chosen people back again together. It was a slab of gold on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And on it, and part of it, uh, were the two golden cherubims facing each other whose wing tips they outstretched and touched, and together above and constituted the throne of God. That, that whole, the whole scene there constituted to the people the throne of God because God said, and between the cherubims, and quite often he referred to, and I will commune with you from between the cherubims. Because now God had the, uh, the uh, symbolized the entire picture, the word of the law that the people couldn't keep. Now, Brother Branham says that God gave Adam and Eve, he just gave them one word to keep. And they weren't able to keep it. Just one word. And so when, when that word was broken, and God came in the garden in the cool of the day, now the word was broken, and so something had to happen, and they immediately needed to be covered. That's exactly what the mercy seat is. The mercy seat is a covering. And they needed to be covered, so God himself slew the animal. How, we don't know, but blood was shed. And Almighty God himself, then after shedding the blood, showed grace and mercy to his children and covered them with skins. And typifying, speaking and prophesying of what would be coming in the future. And the Bible says, And unto Adam and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now, I've said many times here, I'll repeat once again, that if, if Moses had kept the commandments and, and uh, had the tabernacle made, 
If you had the tabernacle made precisely to its uh, exact precise dimensions and did everything technically right and had the priests right and the high priest right and slew the animal right and put the blood in the vessel and, and carried it in and they did all the things, if they did all the mechanics, if, if mercy was not attained, it was all in vain. So the ultimate thing that must take place or the ultimate thing that must be received is mercy. And if we don't get mercy, all of this, all, all of these music and singing and speaking and studying and praying and whatever more, it's just a, a lot of, it's just a, a, you know, a lot of mechanics. A person needs to, we could, pound on the altar and weep and shed tears, and a lot of people do. But unless mercy, and mercy is something that is divinely and sovereignly given by Almighty God, mercy. And then when we know that we have received mercy, we have peace with God. The world's a different place. Now, Paul said in Romans, because now the ark contained the word. And so I want to speak about, uh, I want to just read some scriptures, which I believe I've covered some of these scriptures in the last two, three weeks with you when we spoke about grace, grace, and stewardship. And and so Romans 3.20 says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So as soon as we speak about the law, I want you to think about the, the ark which we just showed. And the contents of the ark is exactly what Paul is speaking about. For by the deeds of the law, by the keeping of it, there shall no flesh be justified. Because it witnessed against the unbelief of the people. In Romans 8 and 3, it says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. There was nothing wrong with the law, but what the law could not do is because it could not empower the people to live the life. There was no power. There was no Holy Spirit to empower the people. The law only told them what was required. And because they could not keep it, they were condemned by it. And so there had to be something. If God had just had an ark with the law in it, the, the, it was a hopeless case. It was a hopeless situation. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely a hopeless situation. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. In the flesh. Now, It says in Ephesians, having abolished in his flesh. That's that's why God, the word, was made flesh. Having abolished. Do you like that word? I love that word. Having abolished. Oh, I love that word. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments. So he abolished the law of commandments contained in ordinances to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both 
unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So we can see judgment was taking place at the mercy seat. Isn't that wonderful? Judgment was taking place at the mercy seat. And in Hebrews 9 and 7, it says, But into the second, speaking of the uh, where the high priest went, into the Holy of Holies, into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. For the Holy Ghost, thus this signifying, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, uh, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure of the time then present. It was the figure, uh, it was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not, listen to this, that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to his conscience. So he couldn't make it perfect as pertaining to his conscience, even though he did it all, but it was only a figure for the time, that present time, because it was not, it was not the, uh, it was not the true, it was only the negative. So the mercy seat, in other words, the mercy seat, and for us when we say seat, often it gets us, perhaps gives us the wrong impression, because it was a slab. We could say the covering. The mercy seat was the covering that stood between the law and God who spoke the law. All right? The mercy seat is what stood between the law, the slab, and God that spoke the word that was under it, so there had to be a, there had to be a place of propitiation, and that was placed between the law, and I'm wanting to really emphasize to this congregation and those that are on streaming at this time, I'm going to be speaking on largely the, those junctions, those intervals between, uh, at, at different, different times when God came and because the mercy seat was actually transient. I would say it was a mercy seat in motion. We, we could say, and I draw back to the services just spoken, Adam and Eve obtained mercy, did they not? We, there was, this ark wasn't present at that time. There was no golden slab over Ten Commandments. Uh, but they did obtain mercy. And, and there was a, a formula that was kept. And God had given them a word. And they couldn't keep the word. They became condemned. And God came and covered them. God gave the children of Israel a word. They couldn't keep the word. So God, they were condemned by the word. Which they couldn't keep. So God made a provision. And the provision was called, now we make a place, and it's called the mercy seat. And there you also must shed blood, and it must be sprinkled on the mercy seat. And, and somehow then the people had a, a, a realization that, they, that God had acknowledged them, and acknowledged their sin, and, was, and forgave them. Amen. Amen. So the mercy seat 
was positioned between the law of commandments and a holy God that had given them. And uh, God has a provided way. And Brother Brown spoke this message, in fact, in Victoria, British Columbia. He says, and Job, Job being a righteous man. Now, there was no word written. There was no scripture written when Job, uh, when, when this was, when this was, uh, took place. And he says, he wanted to find a, a go-between. Something that could stand between a sinful man and a holy God. So there was something in Job. Realizing uh, he was a righteous man, but he realized that he, was, he could not be accepted to God. He, he desired, he wanted to go, he said he wanted to go to his, his place and perhaps knock on his door. He wanted to talk to him. He wanted to speak with him. He desired that. And he desired, oh, if there was somebody that could put a hand and stand and be a go-between between me and this holy God that could stand and put a hand on me and a hand on a holy God. This is what he desired. And, and, and he says, and put his hands on a holy God and his hand on a sinful man and breach the way between the two. Hold that. So we notice the sequence of events and the order. And now we have a mercy seat. Here we are as humans on this earth. And uh, we're kind of caught up now more and more. Everybody's going to go green. Global warming. And the danger. And uh, we hear from one side and uh, people who are scientists and they say in so many, many years that this ozone layer, if we, if we keep uh, destroying it, and scientists say that if we didn't have that protective layer, then the very rays, the very sun that gives life would destroy it all. Isn't that what they say? So there had to be something to go between. Something that's life-giving could be destructive and would destroy not only human life but all life if we were just suddenly exposed to the sun without any protection. And so we have a, 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 a very precious ozone layer which the world is all concerned about. And I'm not unconcerned, but I'm just saying that that was part of God's creation. Even in natural creation. But now, specifically, the man that was created in his image. He is the one that is in much more danger. The very son. S-O-N. That is the life giver. Hallelujah. Also, also, uh, judgment because of, because of his word. The very, the very God that saves also destroys. And that's why I'm so uh, happy we can say that uh, when God saw that the imagination of man's heart was and his mind was only only evil continually, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know what he was? He was a go-between. He was a go-between. Would you agree with that? 
What would happen if there hadn't been a Noah? Was there another man to fill his shoes? No, not one. One man in the hand of God at that time was the go-between. It was a junction. He, that individual, was the go-between. If you'd lived in Noah's time, if we'd have lived in Noah's time, I often put myself into those situations and ask, would you really believe? Would you really believe Noah? Would you really have been in the ark? And I tell you, it's a good question to ask a person because then we can put ourselves where we are today and say, would we believe? I want to say that I would. I want to believe with all my heart that I would. And it helps me to really query my own motives, my own, my own intentions, my own deep self. Because I believe these are good questions we need to ask. Would we have believed at that time? This in-between time now. The Bible says of the children of Israel when God began to move them out. It says, And the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. The pillar of cloud came between the camp of Israel and the camp of the Egyptians. And it was a cloud, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light to these so that one came not near the other all the night. So the same cloud was a darkness to one and a light to the other. They needed something to go between. They were at that junction and there was nothing else that they could do. They needed something to separate them and a go-between. And I tell you, my friends, it's a wonderful thing to have light instead of darkness. Amen. In Romans, the scripture says, once again, I've, I've, I've read these scriptures to you just a, a, a moment ago, but it says, uh, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. One thing we have in common here today is we all got some flesh. And everybody's got some problem with the flesh. Oh, I'm glad I have a go-between. I'm one rejoicing man today that we have a go-between. The law couldn't do it and the, because the flesh was too weak. And there's nobody that's got strong flesh. The flesh is weak. That's all there is to it. The flesh is weak. And so God gave a commandment that the law could not, uh, the law that the flesh could not keep. So there was nothing wrong with the law. Nothing wrong with the law. Nothing evil with the law. But the flesh couldn't keep it. That was the problem. And so God had to provide a mercy for the people. And all of this, all down through the Old Testament, was only, uh, it was, 
It was only a, a substitute because there was nothing to actually transform the people into a new creation. There's nothing in the Old Testament that says, and I'm a new creation. But when we get into the New Testament, we find that. So now the mercy seat was placed between. There had to be an in-between. The high priest only could go in, the scripture tells us, alone. And he said, uh, in a, in a God-provided approach to fellowship, he took the blood of the mercy seat, and only he alone could go in once a year. But when Jesus died on the Day of Atonement, he rent the veil in two. We call it mercy seat in motion. Now the motion, it's changing, it's transient. And he rent the veil in two, not only the high priest, but whosoever will may come any time into the Shekinah glory of God by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When you got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you have access into the Holy of Holies. You have access right where these cherubims are. And there I will commune with you. Not just Moses now, but anyone. Hallelujah. I want to talk about another go-between. I could call it a breach, and yet the breach is perhaps not the exact word I would like to use. But there was a go-between between the Old Testament and the New Testament. A go-between. Now, God was getting ready, follow me close, to dispense with this ark that you saw. He's getting ready to dispense with that law of commandments, and he's going to intensify them. He's going to magnify them. And his word, which the people could not keep, was going to come now into flesh. And there's a breach between the law and the New Testament, between the negative and the positive, between the blood of bulls and goats and the blood of God. God's going to do something completely different now. It's going to be a whole new dispensation. And so in between, he had to send a spirit of Elijah. In Malachi 3, he's going to send Malachi 3. And, and the word comes to the prophet. The word comes to the prophet. Oh, if you can see now within the context of the message that I'm speaking today. And so here John comes on the scene, 400 years of a breach. John comes on the scene and he is the vessel that's going to carry the word. And, and, and his word is a condemning judgment word. Don't say, well, we are children of Abraham. God's able of these stones to raise the children of Abraham. And they were condemned. But then the mercy seat come walking to the word. Hallelujah. In the water. Hallelujah. The word coming to the prophet. Hallelujah. The covering. He that could not only cover but could abolish. Coming to the word that condemned the people. 
in this vital breach. Are you with me? It had to be pure gold. Tell you, friends, my heart was touched as I thought about this, as I studied, as I waited on God for this service. My heart was touched. said, oh, we sang little courses to be like Jesus, but how my heart broke open. said, oh, it seems so remote, it seems so impossible, but yet there's a longing in my heart to be like you. Here came the pure gold. The character, spotless character of Jesus Christ. He was qualified to be the mercy seat. And he contained the blood. Different kind of blood. Not Joseph's blood. Not a human blood of of a human lineage. But the very created blood of Almighty God. Oh, what a mercy seat. The word in flesh came to the one that was standing in the breach. And now it was hanging on one man. John the Baptist. Because he had to identify this mercy seat. He said, there's one that stands amongst you. Who you don't know. Hallelujah. And he identified who he was. This is he. Of whom I spake. He identified the mercy seat. And in a short time, in a very, very short time, the mercy seat was exposed. And God was going to make known it had changed. The location had changed. The whole manner had changed. But the elements were still there. Blood was there. Gold was there. Hallelujah. And the intensified, intensified commandment was dealt with by Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. In the message paradox, he said, Jesus speaking of John the Baptist, what did you go out? He's saying to the people, what did you go out to see? A prophet? I say unto you, and greater than a prophet, listen very closely. I hope that you put emphasis on the prophet's words. As I do, I'll encourage you to do that. He said he was the messenger of the covenant. He was the breach. He's not only the messenger of the covenant but brother Branham is saying that John the Baptist with the spirit of Elijah he was the breach Moses was I should say Noah was the breach between the old world and the new without him there was no new world are you with me he was the breach that's one phrase And he goes on to say, he was the keystone between law and grace. We might say, well, Apostle Paul was. I'll say to you that without this man, 
without this coming, without Malachi 3, the coming of Elijah in that day, he shall prepare the way before me. Not he, and if he doesn't do it, someone else will. He shall prepare. He was the breach. He was the identifier. He was the one and the only one who could identify. Behold, there was not another person ever on the earth that could say, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It was his place, his position, pointing to the mercy seat. He was the breach. Hang on to that. Between the law and grace. He said, when you go out to see a prophet, and I say unto you, more than a prophet. He said, he was a bright and shining light for a while. Why? He was the word made light. He was the word manifested. Then when he came on the scene, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. Two of them couldn't stay at the same time. John had to go. Jesus remained. It's always that way. The breach, the chasm that Jesus Christ bridged. Now the purpose, the purpose of the mercy seat in the message, Hear Ye Him, which Brother Brown preached in Edmonton. said, This is my beloved Son, hear ye Him. What did He represent? God's love. That's, he said, that's what I want. Not justice, not judgment, not law. I want God's love and mercy on me. This is my beloved Son, hear ye Him. I'm so glad for that. And he goes on to say, God wanted to bless His children. And I say, God wants to bless his children. And he couldn't do it under the law. He wanted to bless them, but he couldn't do it under the law. He said, neither could he under judgment and justice. But the only way that he could do it was under the love of his son, Christ Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. What is it? All the law is finished. All the judgment is finished. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. All those other things are done. This is him. So now we have the scripture which we all know so well. Uh, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And the mediator is one who intervenes between two. Either in order to make or restore peace and friendships. Or to form a compact, or to form a, uh, a compact, or for ratifying a covenant, a mediator, an arbitrator, someone that comes in between. We're familiar with that. You men that are members of unions often they get two sides, and they can't they can't bring them to working directly. They just can't can't seem to come to a a meeting of the minds. So they will call a mediator. We've got quite a renowned mediator that they call here in the West Coast. And they call him quite often because they just can't, the sides are too antagonistic and they can't come to a meeting of the minds. So they get a mediator. And that mediator mediates for them. And they have to really agree that what he says is the, is the right way. Now, 
now we have uh, this, this, this breach. It starts with Malachi 3. Brother Branham says of Christ, he didn't die on earth. Neither did he die in heaven. He died between heaven and earth. He had to hang between the two because he was reconciling and his blood was sprinkled out as a covering and a claim on the earth. He was hanging onto the earth and, uh, and onto a holy God. He said the ribbon went straight up into the throne of God and anchored the earth to God. Hallelujah! Oh, I love the way he's put it. Do you talk about a chasm? He was bridging the chasm. He said he was God's sacrifice. He couldn't go to heaven. He couldn't go to heaven. He had our sins. Let's just say it the way it really should be. He couldn't go to heaven because he had my sin. And earth wouldn't have him because he was the son of God. Wasn't that a fix? Aren't these powerful statements, friend? I'm a simple man, but to me it's powerful. I don't want to just have a quote. I want to get the essence of the quote, the spirit of the quote. What is God saying in this quote? Here he hung between heaven and earth with his blood going, the newly created blood of God going to the earth, covering the earth, claiming the earth, putting an anchor in the earth as it were. And he couldn't go to heaven because he had my sin, had your sin. And earth wouldn't have him. He was rejected of man. Oh, what a mercy seat. And there God caused a temple veil to be rent in two with the fire of Almighty God and exposed the mercy seat. He says, and there he was hanging on Mount Calvary and the mercy seat came into Plain view. Not just a high priest going in now. But everyone could see the mercy seat in plain view. It had moved from the temple to Mount Calvary. It wasn't the sprinkling of a high priest with blood on a, on a gold slab. But the gold was hanging on the cross. A character... There never was a man that walked like this man. There never was a character like this this man. The character of Almighty God. And there was the gold. There was the blood. There was the mercy seat. And there was the law fulfilled in him. What a perfect sacrifice. Can you say amen? We should have no trouble singing I love him. He was lifted between, he said, the heavens and the earth as an ensign right outside the gates of Jerusalem. And there's where the supreme price was paid. There's where we were redeemed. He said, God took all the judgments of death. Death that I should die. Think of it. Brother Branham's saying, the death that I should die. He said, the hell that I should go to. We can make it all personal. The death that I should die. There he is. The hell that I should go to. There he is. 
Oh, what a mercy seat. He said, God, with his judgments of death and sickness, Christ met him in the gap hanging between the heavens and the earth. And God struck upon him the iniquity of us all. The mercy seat came into plain view. Now I want to take your attention to the breach of Malachi 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he, he, he's the breach. He shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. Why? Lest, if this doesn't happen, if he doesn't come, I will smite the earth with a curse. And the law now, you'll connect now with what I've preached in previous services. Now the law becomes magnified even greater. There's no one lives by the Ten Commandments. No one can live by the intensified or magnified commandments that Jesus gave. And certainly no one is living by the commandments that were magnified even by the same Lord Jesus Christ speaking through his authorized voice in this day. Jesus said, but I say unto you, And Brother Branham even intensified that, and he called it magnified that. And I'm not majoring on that now. What I'm majoring on is the mercy seat. How absolutely essential. Tell you, my brother, my sister, there's not a man or woman that can survive the eyes of a holy God outside of the mercy that was magnified in this time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think it is so significant, and I pray that God help me here. I believe it is so significant, so significant, and I trust it will be more so to you today. And you need to absorb this. You need to ponder it. And I I, I certainly won't be able to, I certainly won't be able to plumb the depths of it. But John, the prophet said, John the Baptist, he was that breach. I want to go as far as saying, Brother Brandon, the prophet of God in this day, was that breach. And that is why before he could introduce Christ in the opening of the seals, he had to preach the breach. And he took Revelation chapter 5 as the breach between the church ages and the seals. In the breach, if you were to... That's where the sealed book appears... The sealed book appears in Revelation chapter 5. And in one sense of the word, if you can connect this, if you can connect this, if this Elijah had not come, you would have no inkling or knowledge of what was in the sealed book. 
in that sense, he was the breach. Because it's locked up in him. He didn't open the seals. The lamb could only open the seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion, and that's the only place that that scripture actually appears. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus had to come of that of that lineage, of that tribe of Judah. And as you know, it was almost extinguished in the time of Judah himself. But if you take Revelation 5 and you begin to read it, the sealed book, it was sealed. In Revelation 5 now comes the time of the revealing of its contents. In Revelation 5, and it's the only time you find it, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the scripture tells us in in Genesis 49 and 9, Judah, and this is now the father of the patriarchs, prophesying concerning them. Judah is a lion's whelp, that's a young one. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion, stretched out as a lion. And as an old lion, and not necessarily an old lion, but as a lioness. As, a, as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? I, I wouldn't preach this as a doctor, and I certainly wouldn't preach it anywhere else. But I'm in my own pulpit. And I'm wondering what this prophet Jacob was saying as he's speaking these words concerning his son, Judah. You're a lion's whelp. You're like a young lion from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? i just leave that for a moment. I'm putting a lot of emphasis on this message and the messenger right at this moment. I'm taking Brother Branham's words that John the Baptist was the breach. I'm just stressing that. I'm not making a doctrine out. I'm just stressing that. I ask myself this question, I ask you, I pose it to you. It's prophesied in Revelation 5, which is the breach. And if you read the breach and read Revelation 5, and read the breach had to come before the seals could be opened. And, and, the, and the key, the key in the breach is the sealed book couldn't be opened. And John the Apostle not John the Baptist. John the Apostle is weeping because he said, the prophet declares it, all creation, hello, you're here? All creation is lost if that's not open. All creation, you're lost unless this would happen. I'm lost. We're all lost if this wouldn't happen. And it's hanging on a man. He's not going to open the seals, but he's going to... The time has arrived. Everything has to work in its precision as a timepiece. God has everything... I believe God has everything absolutely under control. Don't you? Yes. 
Are you with me? And it says, Weep not, John, for the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And he turns to see the lion, but he sees a lamb standing. If this voice had not called for it, I really wonder if he had aroused. Think about it. Jacob said, you're a lion, and you'll rouse. You'll arise. You'll arise. I'll, I'll read the scripture for you. And he couched as an old, as a lion, and as an old lion. Now he's he's aged. He's the wigged one, not a child anymore, not young anymore. Hallelujah! He's conquered. He's a wigged one. The judge coming. To judge the earth. And who? The question is, who shall rouse him? As far as I'm concerned, I'm glad there was one that was the breach. Stood in the breach. What do you think right after that he preached? Standing in the gap. You're quiet. You're thinking. And he goes on to say, Jacob prophesying, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. I hadn't intended on getting into this, but I thought I'll drop it anyway. It's my own little private thoughts. There was a voice. Maybe when you're in the seals, and I've given you this many times before, but it will have new force to it. Brother Branham is reading the breach. He is, he, he is there. He is in that. He's part of that. Just like you're part of the sealed book. It had to be opened because your name was in it. Here's one that's hanging on him. And he's reading these very scriptures. He says, and, and he says, oh, let him come. He said, maybe I'm just feeling this way. Maybe I'm just feeling this way, but let him come. Hallelujah. And I declare to you, he did come. And he did take the book. And he did open the book. And he did reveal the mysteries. And he did send it down. And the mouthpiece spoke it. That's what happened. Oh, my friends, my people are talking about, oh, Malachi 4, I believe Malachi. They don't even know what they're talking about. All they've got is a, a new way to believe and maybe a new group to fellowship with and a new something. Don't realize what happened at all. I tell you what was hanging on Malachi 4. And unless he would come, I'll smite the earth with a curse. Not just a, a certain country. Not just Palestine. Smite the earth. And which voice is going to the earth? I'm glad. Oh, am I ever glad for every little part we can do. Whether I send a book or a tape or whether we, whatever you do. Or by your voice or over a telephone or however it goes. But to see that voice going out gives me a great joy. 
Who shall rouse him up? That's my question. It says he's roused. Who shall rouse him up? The four beasts are four living creatures which represented the anointing of every age. There was the lion, which is king. The ox, which is sacrifice. The man, which is wisdom. And the eagle, which is prophet. And those four living creatures... Brother Branham, in one paragraph, he takes the two that were on the mercy seat, the two cherubims, and then he says, and there's four around the lamb. He said, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew took the king part and traced him his kingly lineage. Mark starts right off of the ox, starts right off serving. Doesn't give any lineage either way. Just starts right off serving. Luke takes the man part and trace him in his human lineage. And John takes it completely different. In the beginning was the word. Hallelujah! Prophet Eagle goes way back to the very beginning. And John, he's the one who covers Gethsemane. He's the one who covers the foot washing. He's the one who covers I'm the good shepherd. He's the one that covers John, the 17th chapter, the prayer of the Lord Jesus, which none of the others caught. Matthew didn't catch it. Luke didn't catch it. Mark didn't catch it. John caught it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I say how we needed every one of them. And he says those are the four anointings. And in the early church, the lion, the lion anointing was poured out. And the prophet said the pure word. Poured out. Then came the ox age and the sacrifice of the multitudes. He said, they, he said, they couldn't do anything else but run to it. To the sacrifice. 68 million ran to it. He said, because they anointing, they were anointed to do that. They couldn't do anything else. Hallelujah, the sacrifice. And then came Luther and Wesley and the wisdom of men. And the Reformation and how they could, how well, Luther, such an orator, could take and handle that, handle that word and handle his conviction and speak it out. He's the one who said, I will not, I cannot, and I will not. And then we come on another age. Those anointings never went back up. They were just poured out. The word was poured out. Hallelujah. The sacrifice was poured out. I can tell you, my brother, my sister, whatever sacrifice this bride is called on, she will achieve it. Because we still have that anointing. The wisdom, we still have it. We have all of that. We have the combined. I can tell you, because Brother Branham says that even the four riders that came out, the black, the red horse, all of the horse riders that came out, the Antichrist riding, all of those powers exist today. They may be under a different cloak. I can tell you all the cruelty of Rome exists right now. All the deception of Rome exists right now. They might put it in a nice different package, but it's still the same thing inside. Can you say amen? You believe that? I do believe it. 
and all the anointing, all the anointing of those four living creatures has been deposited. We have access to every bit of it right now for the believer, for the bride of Jesus Christ. The four. He said the first was a lion. This is in the fifth seal. The first was that lion that roared, that pure, unadulterated word. The second in Thyatira was the ox, and it was a beast of burden. It was also a sacrifice beast. In the fifth seal, he said, Notice idolatry bought them, brought the man-beast went forth. Notice what idolatry brought. The man-beast went forth with the power of God by wisdom that God gave him and brought the church from idolatry back to God. And in the sixth seal, excuse me for reading, but I want you to hear what he said in his prayer. Lord, I pray that you will honor these people for their respects to the word and heal them for Jesus' sake. He said, "Ah, out here in the audience, Lord, uh, they're sitting there, people just like it was who listened in the, to the apostle Peter at the day of Pentecost. How he went back to the word and got the word and said, Joel said that in the last days these things shall take place. And this is that. And 3,000 believed it and were baptized. And Father, today we stand here by your grace. And it's not because that it's, that it's a special people, but it's because like, just like the day of the lion or the ox or the man, it's the eagle time. It's the anointing of the hour. Hallelujah. He never once said, and the scripture never says that God withdrew his anointing. Those anointings are present today. I declare that. And this is the eagle time. And if I say, and if I can say it this way, if he said it, I have a right to repeat it. And if I have a right to repeat it, we have a right to claim it. And I do, before this group of people. I claim that in the name of Jesus Christ. I claim the anointing for myself personally. The eagle anointing. Hallelujah. A greater law. A greater mercy. A greater grace. God bless you, Brother Nathan. Mercy, grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the time that we're living in. It's the working of the Holy Spirit for this particular time to prove that Jesus is not dead. Every time I see, whether I see uh, the families or I see young people or I see the bride of Jesus Christ or go to some other city and see the bride. Yes, there's this, that and the other thing, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff that collect, collects along with it. But I see a body of people and they're genuine. They're mature. I can see that they are indeed the bride of Jesus Christ. And I'm so, I'm so happy to be identified with them. And whether it be in Africa, or whether it be in South America, or whether it be in Asia, wherever it might be, this message produces exactly the same thing everywhere. Why? Because it's the same life. There's all kinds of little anecdotes that you could probably relate to, and I don't want to weary you. But I believe it was Gordon Lindsay's 
daughter that was standing washing dishes and up drove a little Model A or Model T car and a little man got out. She didn't know anything about him. She said she just instinctively began to weep. It was like, like a humility coming. A humility. She said it was such humility. Now how could she over a sink in a house pick up that spirit of humility, such an atmosphere of humility that would have such a reaction on her body that would cause tears to come to her eyes and she begin to weep. Just seeing a man get out of a car. Now you see, friends, something of the Spirit of God was witnessing to her that there's a certain characteristic of this vessel and wherever you hear even Brother Branham's enemies, they will say, humble. He was humble. Such humility. It was the Spirit of Christ. He had to display that because, because he could not. It would be not possible for what would come out of his mouth to be contrary to the life that he lived. And what was coming out of his mouth was the word to this hour, the word to this age. And that's why he lived that life. His critics have not been able to put a finger on his life. They'll say his doctrine is wrong and this is wrong and all the rest of it, but they can't touch his life. They can't put a finger on his life. I tell you, that is quite, that is a staggering statement. A man that was before the eyes of millions of people and those that were actually enemies and watching for a flaw, watching for one crack, watching for something and couldn't find it. I say glory be to God. I'm not ashamed to be identified with that kind of character. Why? Because we have now an individual and you are linked to that. You are linked to, listen to me, you are linked to a mouth that opened and spoke a magnified law that condemned every person in this congregation. And a magnified grace that was so incredible until he could say, and this is where so many people I think really kind of didn't fully grasp it, said he rises, he rises, he's aroused, and the mercy seat becomes a judgment seat. Do you believe in Calvary? He's not hanging on Calvary. He's left the cross. He left the cross. When he left the cross, did we suddenly lose all the efficacy of the cross? Did we lose all of the power of the cross? Did we lose the sacrifice of the cross? No, it's still available to us. He left the tomb, did he not? Oh, I'm glad he left the tomb. But what he achieved in the tomb is with us today. His resurrection power. We didn't lose the resurrection power. On Mount Calvary, the mercy seat came into full view. 
He's not on Mount Calvary. He's left the mercy seat. He's not there in full view today. He's left the mercy seat. But He, the Word, He, the Word, is mercy. Hallelujah. He is grace. In other words, He's the one that administers it. How He chooses. In the age that He chooses it. And in this age, He's got one voice. I wish I could explain it to you. He's got one voice. It's the voice of the breach. It's the voice that's taking a hold of the church age on one side. And Christ himself on the other side. And he is under a mandate to turn this way to the church ages and call. Come out of her, my people. And be ye separate, saith the Lord. Is that the truth? He was to call out a bride, to call out a people. And they would hear that voice and recognize who it was that was calling. And turn and take this word that, and, and this Christ himself was being made known by the very word that he spoke. I would not know him. You wouldn't know him unless you could see it and read it. And he's ordained to unite the two together into a husband and wife relationship. We heard Brother Brother Murphy speak. It was a wonderful service. And he spent quite a bit of time on Eliezer, Rebecca, and Isaac. And Brother Branham even says, let me like Eliezer. Go get your son a bride. But there had to come a time. There was no one else. Eliezer was that breach. He was that breach. And when he fulfilled his purpose, he dropped out and left. The wife and the husband together. In Ruth, the second chapter, there was one servant that was over all, all the, those that were reapers. Over all the reapers. And when the Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, hallelujah, coming to the field, the world, Jesus said, the earth, the world is the field. And he comes to the field. He addresses only one. That one happens to be the breach between Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and Ruth that was there, almost starving to death in the field. Who is this maiden? That's Ruth the Moabitess. And that servant drops out of the picture. There had to be one standing in the breach. There had to be one filling the gap. And this message is to me mercy. This message is God's mercy. This vindicated voice is God's mercy. And if a person rejects that, it can only be judgment. I say, God, I want mercy. I want mercy more than anything. I'm a believer. Are you a believer? Hallelujah. 
And the Bible says that when he rose and he took the book, notice now, and I'm closing, the four and twenty elders. And Brother Bram says the patriarchs of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New fell down before the Lamb and the four beasts. And they fell down before the Lamb. And the Bible says, And they sung a new song. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. This word will make you sing a new song. Your condemnation will be gone. Your judgment is gone. Your widowhood is gone. Hallelujah. All of your sin is gone. We can sing a new song. Hallelujah. Are you with me? I know you are. And they sang a new song. And they said this, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Now that's a scripture in the sealed book. That scripture had to be fulfilled. And that scripture to be fulfilled really hung on one man. Not a church. You won't find a church. You won't find an organization. You won't find a school. You won't find anybody that called for it. You'll find a strong angel call for it. Heard a strong angel who is worthy. And when that angel comes, this is my own thought, when that angel comes and stands here and the moment arrives, the moment has arrived. Who is worthy? Let him come. Stops. Maybe I just feel this way. But let him come. Let him take the book. I, personally, I believe that roused him. Hallelujah. I believe he stood. The time has come. It hung on one man, John the Baptist. And he's standing there. Oh yeah, the people thought it was a makeup. They thought it was just something that was cooked up. Like many two today. And John the Baptist standing there in the mud, squeezing between his toes in the river Jordan. And here comes his cousin after the flesh. Jesus Christ, who they thought was the son of Joseph. Who was actually the son of God. And the same God that commissioned him said to him, When you see the, when you see the, 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 the light, when you see the identification, that's him. Says so this is him. He said he didn't know. But when it came, it was identified. This is him. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You see, friends, I can't reconcile the scriptures without John being there. I go as far as to say, if John was not there, if that spirit of Elijah was not there, Jesus would not have walked to Jordan. I'll go a step further. If John wasn't there, neither would Jesus be there. 
If this messenger had not come, the seals would not be open. If this messenger had not come, you would not be believing what you believe. You would not have the revelation that you have. How do we know it's a revelation? It's a transforming power. We don't have to go and tout it out loud. Oh, I've got a revelation. It's in you. Other people are saying, what do you have? What makes you that way? What produces this kind of people? What makes these kind of young people? What makes these kind of families? I can tell you, the revelation of the opening of God's Word. And if you read it, if you absorb it, and the same power of the Holy Ghost that brought it ignites it within you, you'll be a transformed person. I assure you that. How much of Christianity believes he was either Jew or Gentile? Then you have a messenger come. Says he was neither Jew nor Gentile. What was he? In between. Hallelujah. He's one who could stand in between and take a hold of the Jew that had the word of the Old Testament, take a hold of the Gentile and bring them together in one, Jesus Christ. I have a hard time because there's so many, many places that I could go at this time. I'm not going to, but he stood between the two. Hallelujah. He leaves the throne. To be an intercessor as a slain lamb. To be a lion. King. To bring the world to judgment. Who has rejected this message. Now you understand, perhaps... Why Brother Branham could not preach certain messages until the seals were open. I indict this generation for the second crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I indict this generation. This generation you and I live in and you and I work in has been indicted under the indictment of Almighty God. And that is why it goes the way it goes. Is there no... Is there no boundaries of shame? Not that I know of. There's, there's no consciousness of shame in the world. Our insanity, our people of insanity, are they in institutions? No, they're on the streets. Is this violence contained? No, it isn't contained. Do men have the answer? No, it's obvious they don't have the answer. Don't have the answer for anything. We've heard it declared in my lifetime and yours that we'll put this kind of a, a union together, a League of Nations, a United Nations, an ecumenical movement, and we'll bring peace. It's not peace. You know it's not peace. You know it's more trouble. They're trying right now, right here in our city, and we've got police officers called peace officers in this congregation. Men of rank and men of respect. I worry about them. Not worry, worry, anxious, but I, I'm concerned about them. Such violence. I'm almost ashamed to be a citizen of this nation. When they make, and they can't seem to even get any control 
people being gunned down, women being gunned down. You know, we have the only, the only place in Canada, the only place in Canada, down in Vancouver, where all the drug, drug addicts line up. About 900, and they're lined up when the place opens because they can go in. And you know, if you, you probably couldn't get in. But when you get in, I've seen a documentary on it. And they just go down big baskets full of drugs. Heroin, cocaine, all the, all the drugs. And they pick the drug that they're taking. They get a clean needle. And they go in and no one is able to give them the shot, but they give themselves the shot under, under supervision. And they say that that's the answer to our drug problem. Friends, I'm not here to even talk about those things. I'm just saying it's completely out of control. Until man's mind has become so twisted till they actually give the thing that is killing the people and saying, well, this is keeping them alive. That's not the answer. There's people... And, I, and, and there's, a, there's a, 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 an author of a book. I wouldn't even have you read the book. I've read just little clips of it. He was 25 years the Vancouver Sun reporter of the courts. And when they were interviewing him, they asked him, do you think you've become cynical? He said, yeah, I guess I have. He said, when I see people, men, and see policemen who have risked their lives and may get gunned down with a sawed-off shotgun and break into a place and catch, uh, catch drug dealers in the very act. And this is the one account I actually read, a Supreme Court judge here. And they brought the men into court. And what the judge began to do was to cross-examine the police officer. And he said, what did you see? He said, well, we have been following this man. And we were following and we identified both of them are drug dealers. And we came right to the house and we're waiting there. And the one man handed a package to the other man. And at that moment they moved in and arrested them both. And those guys are right there. And this judge said, was there anything so unusual that one man hands another one a package? And he dismissed the case and sent both of those men out. And this reporter said, yeah, I guess I am cynical. Well, I'm not cynical. Because I have a message and have an answer for that. You know, friends, you're hearing maybe someone out streaming. Maybe you're a visitor here saying, well, I've had people say, I've never heard William Branham. I can tell you one thing. Your church leaders have. I can tell you the Vatican knows about them. I can tell you they got the books in in their library. Yes, they do. I can tell you that the Ecumenical Council knows about them. I can tell you but millions of people know about them. I can tell you the Or Roberts Society Association knows about them. And, uh, and, and Tommy Osborne, all those people, Tommy Osborne took a whole package of, of, of tapes. Tommy Osborne took a whole box of tapes from Brother Perry Green and went up with his wife Daisy up into the mountains to hear those tapes.
And, and, and the one that was even called under Brother Branham, felt the call under Brother Branham's ministry. He was in the meeting where that maniac came and fell on Brother Branham's feet. They all know what it is. Leaders know what it is. And here you and I are, little individuals just trying to make our way through life. Aren't you glad God found you? Aren't you glad that he found you and you heard his voice? We weren't in any special elite place, but by favor. He showed favor. Hallelujah. And when he identified you for favor, then he could do one thing, and that's give you mercy. You talk about mercy. You talk about, we talk about grace, grace. You talk about mercy. You're not just forgiven. He's, he, he can say to you, this mercy seat, say, I abolished your transgression in my flesh. You see the mercy seat? I abolished it. Hallelujah. No wonder we can sing, I'm free. 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 Hallelujah. God bless you. I feel like singing, I feel like shouting, I feel like dancing. I tell you what, friends, the best place in the world is when I get uh, the, the, the message of the word and it just is such a freedom, such a liberty to us. Hallelujah. Do you feel his hand? Put his hand on you. I, I feel privileged the way God leads different individuals here. Sister Alice Grant. Her daddy's brother Neville. How many didn't know that? Raise your hands. See all those folks, Alice? They don't know your brother Neville's daughter. And her daughter here with her. And I looked down. I remember when she was a teenager. I remember counseling. And I remember even the words that were spoken. And I said, Sister Alice, you can either heap honor or disgrace on your father's head. And you chose to honor him and your mother. And he was pastor at the tabernacle. And Brother Branham spoke so highly of him. And we're thankful for him and his life and your mother that raised you. And now that you have daughters here, God bless you. Amen. To me, that's grace. To me, that's a wonderful thing. To me, it's a glorious thing. That you come through what you've come through and you're here. Amen. Glory. This mercy seat. What, what wonderful, what wonderful privilege we have. I want to sing a song, I know in whom I have believed.